Hi, welcome to Exploring Illusion Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is episode number 134. We're, we're taping on September 19th, 2013. We originally taped it on August 1st, but um, we had to redo the show. So, like, you know, I'm maintaining the number just to keep the sequence correct. But um, the title of this episode is Free Will and Other Things We Lack. And the idea behind this is like, you know, when when people consider that we don't have a free will, that, you know, that we're basically like actors and absolutely nothing is up to us, we're just going along for the ride, like reality is just a, a movie, you know, it's very unsettling for people, you know? It's like, you know, they get the logic, they get how causality makes free will impossible, they get how the fact that we have an unconscious makes free will impossible, they get the fact that even there was, if there was such a thing as randomness, or indeterminism, or a-causality, or, or retro-causality, or causa-sui mechanisms, or ex-nihilo mechanisms, whatever. However you want to describe reality, there's, you know, free will is still impossible. They get that, okay? But, you know, it's, they, 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 they feel so connected. They have such a need to, to believe in free will that they... Um, they override their reasoning. You know, their, their emotional need to believe in free will overrides their understanding that we don't have one. So this kind of, this show is kind of like to explain, well, you know, I mean, like, there's a lot of other things we lack that, that we accept. You know, we, we, it's not, you know, in other words, like, we, we lack certain things. We don't say, well, we don't lack them. No, we, we, we have them and all. No, we, we, we accept that we lack them, you know, like free will. And we accept the evidence. So, like, you know, so hopefully people will begin to kind of, like, understand that, like, you know, to the extent that they understand that free will is an illusion, the world becomes far, far, far more wonderful in, in, in the sense of full of wonders, more amazing. You know, I mean, isn't it incredibly amazing that, first of all, that, like, our reality has, has been completely predetermined. It isn't like a movie. Everything is just, it's kind of like, remember when you were a kid and you played with, like, toy soldiers or dolls or whatever, you know, if you were a girl or whatever, and, like, you know, you made them do stuff and say stuff and all? That's what reality is. If you believe in God, that's what God is doing. <laughs> if you believe in the Big Bang, you know, the Big Bang, I don't, you know, we're not getting into, like, the issue of whether the universe is conscious or not. But basically, the Big Bang causally set in motion all everything that's happening today, you know. And there, who, there presumably there would have been stuff that happened before the Big Bang, but we can't know that. But all right. So, so yeah, this is like free will and other things we lack. And it's kind of, the idea is if, if you understand that we kind of like accept other things that we lack, then maybe we can kind of like bring ourselves to, to just um, to apply that same kind of acceptance to, to the fact that we don't have free will and, 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 and acknowledge and, and accept the evidence against it. Okay, against free will. So, all right. Before we do that, we're going to define what we mean by free will. We always do this. Um, free will, people that say that they don't have a free will, that they have a free will, are saying that we can like override our genetics and conditioning, that we can override our nature and nurture, you know, we're, we're, we have certain genes and we have a certain environment in psychology and, and biology. The understanding is that, that the, a combination of genetics and environment is what makes us do what we do. 
you know, it's responsible for human behavior. So people who say they have a free will say that we can override that. They're essentially saying that, like, we can override any influence that's not in our control, like our unconscious. We all have an unconscious, and our unconscious is incidentally where our thoughts are stored, our memories are stored. And when you think about it, if... And they're unconscious. It's called the unconscious. We're not conscious of it, okay? And, and our consciousness is called our consciousness not because it's a decision-making process um, mechanism, but but because it's an awareness mechanism. All right, it's aware. To be conscious is aware. So, like, our consciousness is not aware of our unconscious, but our unconscious is aware. Is is, is where all of our data, our memories, are stored upon which we make decisions. So think about it. If, if our unconscious holds our memories and we need to rely on memories to make decisions and the conscious mind does not, by definition and, and by so much empirical evidence, have access in real time to the unconscious, what happens when we make a decision? The unconscious is sifting through the material in the unconscious, processing it according to its principles, its processes, and then making us aware or conscious of its decision. So obviously, if the unconscious is deciding for us, that's not free will. All right, so like, I mean, I just like explain free will and explain why we don't have it relative to the unconscious. But basically, people who say we have free will say that things are fundamentally up to us and nothing that's not in our control, like the unconscious, like this process of causality, like these imperatives we have, are making us do things or at least taking part in our decisions. Okay, and again, I'm just going to like go with like, you know, ordinarily I explain why... Um, why uh, causality makes free will impossible, but I think I've just explained why the unconscious makes it impossible. And if you want to understand how causality makes free will impossible, there's like, there's 137 actually more shows up there when I get this up there on, on YouTube. Okay, just go to YouTube. I'm just um, exploring. I mean, you know, if, yeah, if you want to see more episodes. So, all right. So, all right. Why is this important? I want to like, you know, part of this is like, People, some people say, yeah, fine, we don't have a free will, why does it matter? What, big deal, what, what's the difference? It couldn't matter more. You know, our world is fundamentally deluded about the, the, the second most fundamental aspect of who we are as human beings. The first fundamental fact of our being is that we exist, you know, clearly. We exist. We, you know, human beings exist. So what's the second? The second fundamental fact of human existence is that we do things. So basically, the free will illusion is getting the reason we do things completely wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's ascribing our behavior to ourselves when all we're, we're like puppets, we're robots, we're automatons, we're actors, however you want to describe us, we're, we're people uppets. You know, but nothing is up to us. So, like, for humanity to get this second fundamental fact of human existence, why we do things, completely wrong, I mean, it, it couldn't be more important to, to us, you know, as a humanity and as, an, as individuals. Um, in terms of, like, other scientific discoveries, uh, back in 2010, there was a survey done of philosophers throughout the world who were born after two, um, 1900, and the criteria they used to rank them was 
how often they were cited by other philosophers in their papers and books. Okay, so there's this philosopher, John Searle, who's ranked 13th among, and there's got to, there's got to be hundreds of thousands of philosophers. I mean, we're going back to 1900, you know, to 2013, so easily hundreds of thousands, if not several million philosophers in the world, uh, you know, since all that time. And, and Searle is 13th, okay? So, like, he was asked by this British psychologist, Susan Blackmore, who was working on a book that she published in 2005 called Conversations on Consciousness. And she asked him, um, you know, if free will were acknowledged by the world to be an illusion, what would that mean? And, and Searle said, and it, this is in the book, you know, she quoted him, it would be a bigger revolution in our thinking than Einstein or Copernicus or Galileo or Darwin or Newton. I got that wrong a little, I think, but that's all right. Then he goes on to say, it will alter our whole conception of our relation with the universe. Okay, end quote. That's how big this is. Nothing bigger has ever been accomplished. You know, it, it represents a categorically, distinctly new human consciousness. It's a major step in evolution. Evolution we tend to think of, you know, primarily in terms of um, physiology. You know, like we, we're taller now, we walk more upright, we've lost a lot of hair, we're more intelligent, you know, our brains are bigger and stuff. But it also applies to the evolution of our minds. And, and like while physiological evolution will take millions of years, um, psychological evolution can um, take place much faster. And, and because we have the Internet where we can share in- information very quickly, you know, this, this kind of new consciousness that our world is moving into may actually be completed in, who knows, maybe several decades, two or three decades. It may happen sooner. But, but that's how big it is. It's a brand new human consciousness. Okay, so, so now we've, we've got like, we know what we mean when we say free will. We know why we don't have it. And we know its importance. So, but, but, you know, again, a lot of people can't accept this. So, like, I'm going to just go through some things in life and reality, other things that we don't have, including free will, that we accept. Um, so let's start with, like, immortality. You know, we die. <laughs> We're here, like, 80, 90, 70, 60. We're here for, for a very, very brief period because we know, like, the, the, um, the Big Bang was 13.7 billion years ago, Okay. And presumably the, the Earth has, um, who knows, maybe four or five more billion years to go. And then the sun is going to get, you know, the sun, it's getting closer to the sun soon. Eventually there will be no life on Earth. And eventually after that the sun will, will burn itself out. And then, you know, there will be billions of years after that. So anyway, our, um, our whatchamacallit, our life is this, like, this this, um, you know, this, this briefest, briefest instant with a time. Now, some people, all right, some, I, I tend to believe, I prefer it's a belief, okay? It's not an understanding. I would never even attempt to, to uh, defend this in any way. But I believe that, that we have kind of like a part of us that exists eternally. Why? Because it just makes me feel better. But, you know, but a lot, when I'm, my point here is that, like, there are a lot of people who accept that we die and then nothing happens after that. And they're, they're perfectly fine with that, but they don't accept that we don't have a free will. 
Okay. So, and the other thing is, like, it's like, it's not just like, you know, like, some people would actually want to live forever carnally in this carnal physical existence. And that's what we don't have. We, you know, we don't, you know, by any kind of conception, whether you believe in a soul, an immortal soul or not, you don't live forever in your physical, you know, body. And then, you know, you, you get people that are trying to, like, learn to reverse the aging process. Who knows? Maybe they'll succeed someday. You know, might be interesting. But but for now, people accept this. All right. So if, if you can accept that, that like, you know, that we're here for a brief instant within the span of the universe, span of time, you know, going back 13.7 billion years at least and going into the future at least that much, I would think. And, you know, who knows how long after that, then I think it might be easier to accept. And, yeah, we don't have free will. There's a lot of stuff that, that happens that we um. All right. Another thing, um, we have no assurance of like of what our future health is going to be. Okay, um, we try to like eat well, exercise, take care of ourselves, eat the right you know foods, um, do things that are healthy and all. But but the you know, the reality is that you know we don't know. You know, I mean, ultimately, I guess eventually, like we get older and older, and like you know, if some accident doesn't kill us, then an illness will. So like. But but the idea is like our future health is not assured. You know, even in like, you know, the richest countries of the world where we have these great, you know, health care systems are just more advanced than in, in other parts of the world. So but we accept this. You know, we, we, we don't say, well, no, no, <laughs> um, I am going to be healthy in the future because I want to, you know, and I don't care what, what the facts are. I don't care what the statistics are. I want to be healthy. So, so I believe that I will be. We, we recognize that, you know, that, you know, we see it happening, so, like, we acknowledge it. Again, this is another thing, like, if we can acknowledge that, that our future health is in our hands, maybe we can acknowledge better that nothing is really in our hands. Okay. We have absolutely no say in when we were born, where we were born, and to whom we were born. Think about that. Think about that. Um... Who we are. We had absolutely no say in who we are. When we were born determines to a great extent who we will be. You know, if, if we were born in the 11th century, we would be a lot different than we are now. If we were born 10,000 years ago, we'd be a lot different than we are now. We don't get to control when we're born. We don't get to control where we're born, Okay. You know, um, you can't just decide, well, yeah, I'd like to live in some island somewhere in the Pacific, whatever. You know, if you're born there, that's where you're born. If you're not, you're not. Um, and finally, we don't get to decide to whom we're born. We don't get to decide who our parents will be, right? So this is like, what I'm saying is like, we don't get to decide the fundamental criteria that makes us who we are, you know when we're born, where we're born, to whom we're born. Because these factors, these influences, mold who we are. They make us who we are, and they incidentally explain why we don't have a free will. Because if we don't get to decide all that, obviously we don't get to decide what makes us who we are and why we do what we do. But we accept it. <laughs> we accept it. We don't say that, no, no, I... I I decided, I mean, some of us do, but that's like, you know, that's kind of like fluff philosophy. There's no evidence for it, whatever. Some people say that, like, you know, I decided to be born 
you know, in, in the 1950s or the 1980s or whatever. I decided to be born in the United States or some other country. I, I picked my parents. You know, people don't say that. People don't say, you know, people don't, like, contradict the obvious knowledge that we don't decide any of these. So, again, you know, if people can accept that we have absolutely no control over these things, maybe by understanding that um, they can apply that same, same acceptance to our human will. We just don't have a free will, okay? We're, you know, there's a lot we're not in control of. Um, this relates to future health in a, bit, uh, in a sense. We don't get to know what, how the future is going to unfold. Um, not completely. We're not completely ignorant. I mean, like... 50 years from now, we know exactly where the Earth is going to be in relation to the sun. We know where all these stars and planets are going to be. You know? But we don't know like what the stock market's going to be doing. We don't know um, what, well, um, well in, in our personal lives. Like, we don't know how our personal lives are going to unfold. We have some kind of idea where we, no, no, we, we ultimately don't know. Think about it. 40, 50 years from, from today, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be alive or not. You know, I don't know where I'm going to be, with whom. We don't know the future, okay? We don't know, especially the future of our personal lives, you know? We don't know what we're going to be doing, where we're going to be living, how we're going to be living, what we're going to be thinking. And, and we accept this. We don't say to ourselves, oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It's just so, so uncomfortable, so disturbing, so unacceptable to not know what we're going to do, you know, 20 years from now. I, I can't accept it. You know, we, we don't say that. We don't say, I know what's going to happen 50 years from now, because we don't. Okay, again, if we, if we apply that same acceptance and understanding that we don't know the future to the fact that we don't have a free will, maybe we can accept it more. Okay, and um, I'm going to skip over a few. The, the big thing the big thing for me is like pain okay um, think about this the reason I'm doing this show is because pain exists um, the reason I did my last show was because pain exists um, the last show was a happiness show it's on how to become happier and incidentally I want to say just like just because we don't have a free will doesn't mean we can't become happier. It's just that like whether we do or not and how much happier we become isn't up to us. But anyway, when you think about it, I like this concept of pain because this, like, this is really, really fundamental. When you think about it, think of all the things that you um, consider about the world, about reality, about your life, your human life, the life of the animals and sentient beings around you. The only thing that anyone could possibly object to is pain because if if we didn't evolve pain if like if through evolution through quote unquote random mutation we evolved a way to kind of like to kind of like have a certain kind of mechanism that wasn't painful, do the job that pain does, because I'm not saying pain isn't useful in certain circumstances. You know, if there's a hot stove, we don't want to hurt ourselves, so the pain kind of like tells us to not touch it. So I'm not saying pain is, 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 is unnecessary, but we could, I think, theoretically, easily have evolved a mechanism that didn't hurt that would give us that same information. So anyway, it's like 
But the idea is like the only thing anyone could ever have anything against is pain. Okay? Pain is the only part of existence that is a mistake, actually. You know, because we're hedonic creatures. We're, we're hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain. We can't but do that. And I just want to go through a brief explanation of how that explains how we don't have a free will. For example, let's say we program a computer and we give it wheels and a little motor and stuff, allow it to move, right? And let's say we instruct it, we program it, hardwire it, to whenever it comes to an obstacle like a wall, it's going to make a left turn, okay? It's not going to make a right turn, it's going to make a left turn. turn. So like, you know, when the robot makes his left turn, are we going to say that the robot made it of its own will, of its own free will? No, we programmed that it. it has to do that because that's how it's programmed. Now, apply that example by analogy to us as human beings who are programmed biologically hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain. That's all we do. If we come up to a situation, we're going to pick the, the, the choice that results in the most pleasure and the least pain. Sometimes it's considered the, the, um, the greatest of two goods or the lesser of two evils. Now, I'm not saying like sometimes, sometimes for example, we'll choose to run a marathon. Or we'll, we'll choose to kind of like endure something that's going to cause us pain. But in, in those instances, what we're actually doing is like we're gaining more pleasure by, for example, gratifying our conscience or gratifying our need to, some, to do something we thought we couldn't do, like run a marathon, whatever. So in other words, like, the, the equation is always still there, you know, like, and the other part is like that, you know, we might endure a certain amount of pain, like getting through high school and college, because we predict that it will lead to greater overall pleasure in the future, okay? But essentially, we're always seeking more pain. We're always moving toward pleasure and away from, away from pain. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, so back to the pain thing. I mean, like, you know, we accept this. We accept this. We don't say, no, no, I'm not feeling pain. Pain doesn't exist because pain sucks. Because, like, like, you know, pain is horrible, you know. Because, that again, that's the only thing that, that does suck. I mean, if there was no pain, everything would be wonderful. We don't say that. We don't, we don't reject our experience. We don't reject our science. We don't reject our knowledge, you know. And, and defend the fact that we have, that um, we don't assert that we don't have pain, you know, just because we don't want to have pain. We accept it. So again, the, the basic theme of this show is like, there's all these instances. Um, there's one more that I want to go through. Um, our understanding of, re- well, no, 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 I, I um, all right, yeah, I, I can go through this. There's a there's an aspect of reality that doesn't make sense. Um, everything else, you know, pretty much makes sense. Some things in physics, you know, we can't understand whatever yet, perhaps. But some things, I think, in principle, don't make sense. And that's like eternity and infinity. In other words, like um, if we posit that there must have been a beginning to everything, like the Big Bang. The obvious next question is, well, there must have been something before. How did it arise? How did it come into being? And if we posit the other alternative, that everything 
existed eternally, our, our reality, our universe existed eternally, then obviously the next question would, would come, well, I mean, how could something just exist eternally? It must have started at some point because our, our experience is that things begin. Logically, things begin. But again, what I'm trying to say is like, that question transcends our logic. You know, we can't logically figure out, figure out whether, you know, reality is eternal or had a beginning. Okay? Um, I tend to, to lean toward the eternity part of it, but I wouldn't begin to prove it because it's just like, it just makes me feel better, you know? I can't, you know, I couldn't begin to, to prove that things always existed, you know, okay? Um, and the same with, it, with infinity, okay? Some people believe that the universe, Aristotle believed that the universe was finite, that like it goes to a certain point, it just stops. And he was asked, well, what's on the other side? And he said, nothing. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But So like some people believe, but yeah, because that's the thing. You know, if, if you believe that the universe is finite, then the obvious next question is, well, you know, what is there's, there's a barrier and there's nothing on the other side. How could there be a barrier? There's got to be, if there's another side, that's something, right? But, you know, if, if you posit the alternative that the universe is infinite, um, and in other words, like, you know, with the Hubble telescope, we, we've kind of like measured what we, what we refer to as the known universe. What we've been able to observe, you know, that's, what, that's how we come up with the age of the universe, 13.7 billion years. Of the known universe, that's how long it would have taken for the furthest you know, part of the universe that we could see to get there from the Big Bang. But again, to posit an infinite universe that kind of like goes on forever and ever and ever into the, you know, outwardly, um, we can't logically comprehend how it could be one or the other. And the point here is like, fine, we have an aspect, a fundamental aspect of reality that transcends logic, and we accept it. All right, that's, that's an unfair kind of one because like that doesn't really mean anything to our daily lives. In other words, this, this illusion of free will means a lot. But still, these other examples, you know, like you know, carnal immortality, our future health. You know. Another thing, we can't be perfectly good. You know, like we, we don't say to ourselves, oh yeah, I'm perfectly good because the, the prospect that we can't be perfectly good is unacceptable. We accept these things. All right, to the, I'm running out of time. To the extent that we understand that we accept so many other things in life that we're not in control of, that aren't the way we'd like them to be, yet we accept them. We can apply this understanding to this, this fact, this truth that we don't have a free will, and accept it. And by doing that, by doing that, we'll create a world of far less hate, blame, envy, arrogance, guilt, um, oh, conflict, you know, vengeance, revenge. I mean, there's so much negativity that results directly from our mistaken belief that we have a free will, and to the extent we overcome it, we'll, be, we'll have a much better world. Okay, so that's it for today. This is the third episode. I'm tired. I'll be back with more episodes explaining why we don't have a free will, why it matters, and how the world can, can change and become much better to the, to the extent we understand this. Okay, thanks for watching.